Christmas music is one of the great blessings of the Christmas season. It helps all of us, not just a few people at the front, it helps all of us express our joy, our gratitude, and our thanksgiving to God. And that makes Christmas music abidingly special. Thank you, choir musicians. Louise, if you're not careful... Well, she's a pretty good page turner, too, you know. (laughs) Catherine, thank you. Beautifully done. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Some years ago, in fact, more than 15 years ago, working through the book of Galatians, I spoke about Galatians 4, 4 through 7. What I want to do this morning is go back and spend a little bit more time on verses 4 and 5. There are phrases that I'm going to just take out of the context and talk about them and move on to the next phrase in the verse and the next verse. So if you'll keep your Bible in front of you, we will look in some detail at verses 4 and 5. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, we have opened before us the inerrant Word of God authored by the Holy Spirit of God. And he has promised to lead us in our understanding of the Word of God. May that be our portion this morning. I pray that you would deliver us from thoughts about what am I going to give for Christmas? What am I going to get for Christmas? I have some shopping left to do. I have family coming. Whatever. All good things, our Father. All things that we joy and rejoice in but for a few moments this morning help us to focus on the word of God and may God the Holy Spirit be our teacher we ask it in Jesus name and for his sake amen the Old Testament closes with the nation Israel under Persian rule the New Testament opens with Israel governed by Rome how'd that happen just by chance Also, when the New Testament opens, we read of chief priests and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, doctors of the law, Herodians and the Sanhedrin, and a whole raft of other things. Where did all that come from? They were not in the Old Testament. Further, the language as the New Testament opens is Greek, not Hebrew. Again, I raise the question, how did all this and a host of other things that I haven't taken time to answer. How did it all come about? Just by chance? To better understand these changes, we need to understand something about the last 200 years of Old Testament history. And further, we need to understand something about the silent years, as they are called, between the close of the Old Testament and the open of the New Testament. There were 400 years there. Uh, Bible teachers and expositors refer to them often, most often, as the silent years. And the reason for that is there was no oral or written communication from God during those 400 years. That's why they're called the silent years. What was taking place? Again, I ask, what was God doing? Why was he silent for 400 years? Why all these new aspects as the New Testament opens, that we know nothing about from the Old Testament. I believe the answer, and I've raised it several times, uh, I believe the answer to those questions is found in Galatians chapter 4, 
and verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. We're going to take all those phrases. But to begin with, the fullness of time, God was preparing the world for the advent of his son. That's, what's, that's what was going on. In the fullness of time, Paul refers to in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Now, I've read verse 4. If you would uh, let your eyes drop back to verse 2 for just a moment. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. Uh, just that phrase, the date set by the Father. And in verse 4, when Paul speaks of the fullness of time, he's carrying along that same thought. Uh, verse 2 has to do with uh, the time appointed by fathers when their sons would be considered an adult. This was different in Jewish, Latin, or Roman, uh, and Greek homes. It was done at a different time. But the fathers set a date when their sons would be considered an adult. You've heard, no doubt, uh, of the Roman situation uh, taking place uh, when a child was somewhere between 14 and 17, uh, of the toga virilis, that cloak that was placed on that Roman son, indicating he's an adult. And you know something, you've heard something about the Jewish ceremony, but that was the date set by an earthly father. The Apostle Paul picks up that, and he says, in the fullness of time, God. God was guiding history. God is... God is sovereign. There are people who don't see things going on in this world as being controlled by God. But God is still in charge. He was during these 400 silent years. And those things that I mentioned earlier that were taking place uh, and, and as the New Testament opened, all these things had taken place. God was moving history. They were not by chance. Let me mention a couple of things that I think are crucial to our understanding of when the fullness of time had come. Again, just as earthly fathers had appointed times, the eternal God appointed a time with respect to his son. In the fullness of time, it says, God sent forth his son. Fullness of time, what was going on? Well, the Greek language and culture had spread throughout the known and civilized world. It was the Greek language was the lingua franca. It was the language of the day. And the result of that having a universal language was a cohesion to society. Second, there were Jewish synagogues in most places. And Christian missionaries could easily have access to reach Jews and Gentile proselytes. Third, Roman roads were unparalleled. In fact, until the era of the automobile, Rome had the best roads that any nation had ever seen. They were paved with brick, uh, they were straight, they cut through hills, they used bridges, all those kinds of things. Of course, Rome built these roads for military purposes. They had uh, a goal in mind. But God had another goal in mind. Uh, there was a good road system, and these roads were made safe by Roman soldiers who guarded them. And then, of course, there was a universal peace, Pax Romana, Roman peace due to military might. So, in the fullness of time, what was going on in the fullness of time? What was God doing? What was God changing? What was God bringing about? 
Well, just to mention the four that I have mentioned, we have a language, we have a synagogue, we have roads, we have peace. God was guiding history. These things did not just happen by chance. And as far as religion was concerned, Judaism was bankrupt. There was a moral declension going on at that time. Economics also played a part. Again, everything was ready. God had his hand on history and had moved so that everything was ready. The fullness of time had come, and God sent forth his son. The verb in verse 4, would you notice that with me? Sent forth. When the fullness of time will come, God sent forth his son. That looks at three particulars. First of all, it speaks of his deity. The babe who would be born in the manger was the son of God. This was no ordinary baby. This was the son of God. So it speaks of his deity. It implies his preexistence. The son of God existed from eternity past. His birth was not his beginning. Please get a hold of that, would you? His birth was not his beginning. Uh, there, are, there is some confusion about this today. Um, sometimes Christian folks aren't too sure. When did Jesus, when did the Son of God begin? And the answer often, all too often, comes from in Bethlehem when he was born. Well, that's not quite what we want to get a hold of. His preexistence. Would you listen to a couple of verses from John, and you know them. Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, what? I am. Before Abraham was, I am. His pre-existence. He pre-existed prior to his birth. His birth was not his beginning. Uh, John 17 says, And now, Father, glorify thou me together with thyself, with the glory, listen, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus' birth was not Jesus' beginning. And it is important for us to understand that. So deity, preexistence, and third, the verb sent forth speaks of his authority. The Lord Jesus came. He was sent by the Father, and he had a mission. Again, from the Gospel of John. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I always do those things which please him. In the fullness of time, and all that that meant, God sent forth his son. And the verb sent forth implies some particular things. It implies his deity. It implies his preexistence. And it speaks about his authority as well. And if you would notice the last two expressions in verse 4. Born of a woman, born under the law. Well, look at that born of a woman first. This looks at Christ's humanity. Man sinned, and man must pay the penalty for sin. Also, the man who is to pay the penalty for sin must be sinless. A sinner can't pay for his own sins, much less the sins of somebody else. So, the man who would pay for, pay the debt for sin, had to be sinless. Paul's main thrust when he speaks of being born of a woman is to teach Christ's humanity. The fact is, in order to save, the Lord Jesus had to be both human and divine. He wasn't simply deity possessing a touch of humanity, nor was he humanity indwelt by deity. 
Jesus had two natures. The Lord possessed an undiminished deity. When he came to this earth, he did not yield any of his divinity. Paul again writes to the church at Colossae, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was deity, fully God, but he was also perfect humanity, united in one person forever. He was sinless, spotless, the Lamb of God. So he had undiminished deity, and he had perfect humanity, united in one person forever. Now, that's unique. Someone has said years and years ago he was as much God as though he were not man, and as much man as though he were not God. We don't understand. That's hard for us to understand. We don't really understand it, I don't think. We can only state what the Bible states and believe it. So he was born of a woman, stressing his humanity. And then he was born under the law. Here the apostle is looking at the fact that Jesus was part of the Jewish race. I didn't know where I wanted to say it, but let me just say it right here and then I'll move on. There's no reason, there's no place for anti-Semitism. And sometimes Christian people are guilty of that. I don't like bumper stickers on my car. But I did see one that I liked. If I were going to have one, it would be, I work for a Jewish carpenter. No place for anti-Semitism. None whatsoever. He was born under the law. He was part of the Jewish race. Jesus didn't place himself under the law, nor was he placed under the law by his circumcision. Rather, he was born under the law as a Jew. He was born of a Jewish mother into a Jewish nation. And this is fundamental to Paul's argument in Galatians 4, 4, and 5. He came to redeem them that were under the law. And that... that, uh, has a wonderfully instructive point to me. Have you ever heard anybody that thought they could get saved by keeping the law? Sure. Sure. A number of folks. Well, I keep the law, or I, whatever, you know, how that goes. But when Jesus came, there were people under the law. He was born under the law. That law couldn't save a single Jewish man, woman, boy, or girl. He came to redeem those that were under the law. If the law had been able to redeem them, they would have been redeemed. But the law couldn't do it. There had to be a substitute for sin, and that was Jesus. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to accomplish two unique things. And those things are stated for us in verse 5. In order that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. To redeem those that were under bondage. Now, obviously, this applies to the curse of the law. And there was a curse. And the apostle in 313, this same book that we're looking at, begins by saying, cursed. Uh, Just to read the first part of it, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So there was a curse associated with the law. He came to redeem us from that curse. That's in chapter 3, verse 13. But in chapter 4, verse 5, it's expanded. He came to release, to buy back, to take out from under all of the bondage of the law. Not just the curse, 
But all of the bondage that went with the law. He came to redeem those that were under the law. All of it. Any of it. Second purpose for his coming is that of adoption. Not just to rescue slaves. But to rescue slaves and make them sons. The word adoption stresses not just becoming part of God's family. But it also stresses the freedom and the maturity one has in his family to enjoy the privilege in God's family of being a mature son, no longer under tutors, as was mentioned, uh, or guardians in verse 2. Romans 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Spiritually, the redeemed, full-grown sons mature with all the privileges in God's family. Adoption gives us a new name. It gives us a new legal standing. It gives us a new family. It gives us a new image. And I kind of help with think what love and grace our spiritual adoption to God's family. And God was not coerced into sending his son to earth to die for us. He had surrounded himself with an adoring host of angels throughout all of eternity and with a perfect son in whom to delight. God was not coerced in any way to send his son to earth. God didn't redeem us. Listen to me. God did not redeem us because he needed us, but because he wanted us. What a thought. You ever look in the mirror in the morning? Say, why in the world would God want this? But he did. And he sent his son to redeem us and to adopt us into his family. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That's love. That's love. Furthermore, God did not adopt us because we were deserving or because we were attractive. Unfortunately, in adoption institutes today and days past in orphanages, it's often the children who are the best looking and the easiest to love. And those, are the, those are the ones that are adopted. The unattractive remain unwanted. God loved us. Not because we were deserving. Not because we were attractive. He loved us in our unloveliness and in our sinfulness. The Father sent his Son for people who were unlovely and who were sinners. Why? He wanted us. He wanted us. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? That we might have redemption and that we might have his adoption. My dear friends, God prepared the world for the coming of his son born in a manger. God prepared the world. I wanted to spend more time on that. There are other things about the fullness of time, but I chose not to spend time on it this morning. But he prepared the world For his son's first coming. It's Christmas. We celebrate 
that first coming. Appropriately so. May I say to you, I believe, as much as I believe that he came the first time, I believe that God is preparing the world for his second coming. I further believe that his return is imminent. It could be before we're through here today. I'm not guessing. I'm not supposing. I'm simply reflecting to you right now what the Bible says. And either it's true or it's not. I believe it is. And I believe he's preparing the world. I don't know exactly what he's doing. And sometimes I puzzle and just ask myself when I read the headlines of the paper or see the TV news, I wonder what in this world is God doing? I don't have an answer. But I'm sure those who live in those 400 silent years didn't know uh, all about why the language was changing from Hebrew to Greek, why there was no longer Persia but Rome, all the things about Rome. I'm sure the people didn't understand it then either. Dear people, we have to take by faith what God's Word says. God sent His Son. He came once. All of the many prophecies that were fulfilled in His first coming. And there are even more prophecies about His second coming. He is coming again. So we celebrate birth in a manger. And we do so with great hope. A dear brother, when we see each other, wherever it might be, two words, either he says them or I say them, maybe today. Are you ready for Jesus to come? By that I mean, do you have a relationship with him? He came to redeem. He came and there's an adoption when we come to him, into his family as mature sons and daughters. There's not anyone in this room this morning that doesn't know and isn't fully aware that we worship the Lord Jesus who came in a manger. That wasn't his beginning. But I wonder if an equal number are looking for him to come again. Are you ready? Pray with me. Father, help us to just accept your word. Perhaps there's someone within the sound of my voice who's saying, I don't understand that. I'm not sure of that. And there was a time when most of us uttered those words. But we came to a place where we realized that we needed a Savior because we were sinners. And even we couldn't, with all the excuses that we made, we couldn't get away from a knowledge, I have sinned. And someone told us about Jesus. And how to have our sins forgiven. And we trusted Jesus as our personal Savior. We say, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It's an overwhelming thought that God in heaven sent his unique and only begotten son. To die for people who were sinners and unlovely. But he did. That's what the Bible says. And so we rejoice the birth of the Son of God in a manger. Give to us, we pray, the same zeal in our hope in looking forward to His coming again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Don't close up yet. If you'll allow me one other thought. It may be that there's somebody here who's never trusted Christ. Where you are, believe on Him. Tell Him that you're a sinner and that you're trusting Him. And ask Him to come into your heart and life to forgive you and to cleanse you. He will do that. That is the promise of His Word. He will do that. If God is speaking to your heart about something in your life, listen to Him this morning and do His bidding. May God speak to all of us as we sing our closing hymn. Number 127. Musically, the thought of the passage of Scripture. He left His throne and came. And the expression of the hymn writer, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Maybe you need to pray that today. Merry Christmas to you. God bless you. Isn't the Lord good? Rejoice. Rejoice. Lynn Farias is our deacon of the day. Lynn is coming to dismiss us with prayer. After that, we will sing, God be with you until we meet again. That's amazing, really. Um, there is a, at least a hint, I think more, but at least there's a hint. Every Sunday that we meet, we close with this until we meet again. And that may be here, and it may be at home. Consider that as we sing this morning. Lynn, pray for us, please. This is from Isaiah 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be giving to, given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for this season. We thank you for this place where uh, we can come and study your word and hear the word preached uh, uh, without compromise. Lord, we just thank you for those that are here this morning and ask that you be with those that are not with us this morning. Lord, uh, we just thank you for this season and what the meaning of this season is, and that we will be led to share the gospel, share the word of God this week with someone who might not be a believer. And Lord, we especially lift up those this season who have lost loved ones. We especially lift up Abby Guy and her family, and uh, uh, Sarah Torcell um, and uh, her family. Lord, and for those uh, who have just recently had surgery, we think of uh, Mary McLaurin and Bob Brumbelow. Lord, we ask that you uh, give them quick recovery and uh, full healing. And Lord, for those who uh, are, are traveling this season, Lord, we'd ask for travel mercies and that uh, you would help people have a joyous time during this holiday season with family, friends, and relatives. Lord, um, mission of the week, hand of hope, is a ministry to, uh, to teach or preach the word to those uh, who have crisis pregnancies, Lord. We would ask that you give them uh, spiritual leading, uh, financial support, Lord, and uh, the physical, uh, physical means uh, to carry out this ministry for needy women. Lord, uh, we just thank you again for this place. We thank you for this season. We thank you that you sent your son, our Savior, and that uh, for those who do not believe in him, Lord, uh, that this season will be an awakening for them and that uh, many will come to believe that Jesus is the true light and the true word. We lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.